Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics on sale February 20th, 2019. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent Dam. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And uh, we got to get into all the new comics this week. We're going to talk about the single issues. The We have a couple of digital-only releases. We're going to talk about the collections as well and stuff that are hitting our apps this week. So much to talk about. First book of the week. Tucker, what is it? It is Age of X-Men, The Amazing Nightcrawler, number one, it's written by Seanan McGuire with art by Juan Frigari, colors by Dono Sanchez Almara, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I really like In the Age of X-Men. I love the world building that goes on because we start out in the first few pages and there's like this post-apocalyptic kind of wasteland. We're supposed to be in a utopia. Of course, what we have learned is that we're on a movie set. And that's because old Kurt here is a movie star. He's like the world's biggest star action movie heartthrob all of it as well as being you know the mutant hero uh nightcrawler so it's really really interesting and i i love it simply as a kind of character study of kurt because i'm a huge fan of nightcrawler he's one of my favorite mutants um so to see uh shannon who is you know chameleon like she can just dive into any character and just immediately really specifically get that tone of voice and get the character she's obviously knows her stuff like unbelievably well and you can really feel that here you know i i I love this more as an exploration of this world as we continue to get to know the age of x-man which is just so much fun so yeah this is a really great uh number one yeah uh, this was nearly one of my picks um there's a really cool new character that they create in here named scope yeah and his really cool powers of like basically being able to create a set essentially like he can create the environment with his powers it's just so neat. And he's a curmudgeonly yeah. young guy. Uh, he's really cool. I like how Seanan integrates the uh, Excalibur characters yeah. into this because Nightcrawler has such a history with Excalibur. So you got Megan, who is his co-star in here. And, so, you know, who knows what else. And then you see Kylun, one of my <laughs> favorite weird characters. Kylun, he's this feline-ish right. uh, character from Excalibur, <laughs> but he's he's the trainer. And having Nightcrawler be the most popular mutant in this world, he's a mix between Denzel, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Ryan Reynolds, and Jackie Chan, but blue and furry. Yeah. And he's so cool. Yeah. It's it's really fun. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Our next book is Avengers number 15. This is written by Jason Aaron, art by David Marquez, colors by Eric Arseniega, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. What a week already. We're two books in and so good. Dynamite stuff already. The full rundown of the vampire team happens in this issue. We've got this new group who showed up last issue, sort of going after vampires, messing with the Avengers, messing with blade. And they call themselves the Legion of the unliving, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, has major history in uh, Avengers comics. There've been five different groups of the Legion of the unliving before some of them with vampires, some of them with like dead folks, like literally taking the, Oh, these are dead characters and they're putting them mm. all together and all this stuff. And this crew is really neat. As far as we know, they're all new and all really gnarly. They've got control over Ghost Rider, which provides a huge problem for the Avengers and kind of for the world. So we end up getting this big battle inside Avengers Mountain, Dracula being extremely creepy, which mm-hmm. is real fun. He's like, I'm so old. Please give give <laughs> me shelter. I just need a place to stay and while away my adult, my older years while I pass the time. And the Russians are like, uh, okay, chain him up. And then he's just like, perfect. This is exactly what I've wanted. Yeah. One last thing yeah. for Avengers number 15. To give a little background, 
Sometimes we read the comics in PDF form because mm-hmm. we were recording the show early, but I've been able to get us what are called make-readies, which are the sort of proofs that the publishing team gets when the comics are done, but a couple of weeks before they actually hit stands. But the cool thing is they actually sh- give us all the covers. Mm-hmm. So previously, we weren't seeing all the variant covers. Yeah. Uh, we weren't even seeing always the actual regular cover. Right. But now we're seeing all the co- the variant covers, and there's a variant cover by Gerard Parel for Avengers number 15 with Captain Marvel sitting on a stoop talking to a young lady and there's a cat in it and it is one of the most magical covers mm. I've seen this year. It is incredible. If you have the opportunity, get your hands on the uh, variant to Avengers number 15. You'll know it when you see it. Totally. Yeah, that, that's been a great joy reading these make readies is getting to see all the different takes. Uh, the next book up this week is Avengers No Road Home number 2. This is, of course, the follow-up to Avengers No Surrender, which went down about a year ago, and that was brought to you by the same uh, writing team as uh, writes this, which is Al Ewing, Jim Zub, and Mark Wade. This has pencils by Paco Medina, inks by Juan Blasco, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. I really, really like this kind of central villain figure at this point in the story, Nyx. You know, I'm reminded of what you said about Dracula there. You know, certain villains are like in your face, very threatening, very visceral. And there's something, you know, at times even more menacing about a, a villain that is very kind of laid back and removed and calm. And that's the vibe of Nyx. Really cool. We see essentially a, a siege of Mount Olympus and all of the kind of Hercules related characters in that way from that corner of the universe. There's also some really interesting kind of narrative twists and turns that happen in here, which I don't want to speak too much about, but that I found really interesting, especially for a big book like this, that like you would assume is just going to be 100% nonstop, you know, 100 mile an hour action certainly has all the action you could want. But there is these quiet moments in here that are really fascinating and are going to do some really cool character work, I think, moving forward. Yeah, speaking of cool character work, the back of that issue, we get uh, designs for mm-hmm. Nix and her children, and they are designed by James Joshua Shaw, who is creative director for Marvel Television, rad dude. So it's cool seeing him getting involved in yeah. the comic side of things as well, and we get background on these characters. So for people who love process, behind the scenes, learning about the making of it's great. That's what one of the things I love about this series. Yeah. It's like, here's the story. Also, here's a little bit more. Yeah, Which totally. is great. Up next is Black Order number four. This is written by Derek Landy with pencils by Philip Tan, inks by Mark Deering, Scott, Hannah, Guillermo, Ortego, and Lebo Underwood Colors by J. David Ramos and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And this issue focuses on Black Swan, as the other issues in the series have focused on other members of the Black Order. Now we're getting Swan's Tale. And if you want to deeper dive into who she is, this is really cool. But there's, I would also say, check out the new Avengers series that launched in 2013. That series led to Secret Wars. But that's where she debuted. The The character actually debuted in 2013 in New Avengers. Her origin is in issue number five. Because, like, the story that she tells here about her origin is sort of done in this fairy tale way. And then you look at the way it's told 
in that comic, and it's really cool how they play off of each other. I love it. I love it. Her her origin here is the neat fable, but in the midst of all the chaos and calamity and the, what the Order is getting involved in right now, they end up battling Nova, who we've seen. He's under some mind control. It's got lots of funny bits, some sadistic bits, and uh, a, a twist that I will say is kind of deliciously obvious in the best way. It's right. like you know this is coming, and you're waiting for it, and when it hits, you're just like, yeah, that, yeah. I knew it, but I'm ready. Yeah, totally. Next up this week is Black Widow number two. It's written by Jen and Sylvia Sosca with art by Flaviano, colors by Veronica Gandini, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I think a lot of times the first issue of a series is like, boom, you know, the confetti and the intro and the the, the pop of, of a big first issue. And I loved the first issue of Black Widow here, but I really loved this one because now we're kind of really getting into the nitty gritty. We're getting into the type of hero that Jen and Sylvia want this version of Black Widow to be. This, this is kind of more assassin Black Widow in a way, and it's really cool. Assassin maybe like P.I. Walking to, Nightmare. Yeah, exactly. I love this book. Yeah. She is like Darth Vader and the Punisher right. level of like she just tears apart everything in front of her. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see how she's positioned in that way. I also really love the kind of underworld of Madripoor that we get to explore here. I think that's really, really fun. It's like weird and like definitely unsettling and just filled with these kind of like neon-y lights and weird bad guys that are like just kind of slimy and you know things like it's really really cool but we also get this like amalgam of like heroism with like i want to say like lowercase a avenger you know what i mean like someone that brings vengeance someone that kind of like writes wrongs on behalf of those that can't like Kill Bill. Yes. I think of the well, bride yeah, exactly. in Kill Bill. Yeah. And like how she fights the, um, what's the, the in, in the first movie at the end, she's in the tea house and she's fighting like Crazy 88, I think it's what they're called. Yes. And yes. like there's the one, the kid that she fights at the end, she cuts his sword, she keeps cutting yeah, yeah. the sword and then she smacks him on the back yeah, with yeah. her sword, even though she's decapitated yeah. and, and just destroyed 80 other people, she sees like, I don't need to kill this yeah, guy. Yeah, go home but to your could. mother. Yeah, exactly. A reference to Yojimbo. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, totally. I totally agree. She has such a cool, driven quality about her. Essentially, she uncovers this really dark corner of the underworld, this dark group, and essentially just takes it upon herself to write the situation to kind of go after these baddies. And it's really, really cool. I, I love how much this character can be how much this character can evolve so i just really enjoy seeing the saskas put their stamp on this character and sh- and just you know make their statements and, and show the kind of black widow that they love uh, and that they've wanted to ray and i i think it's just awesome yeah this is another one so close to yeah. being my pick of the week uh but we often talk about matt rosenberg and the way he writes punisher and every issue punisher just does something hor- he writes mm-hmm. some new way to have Punisher kill a bad guy. And I think that's what the Soskas are doing here. In this issue, at one point, she kicks a guy's leg bone through the skin in <laughs> one panel with a pop, and it's awful. She spears a dude in another, smashes a guy's head in with a car door. You know, one of those things where she holds his head and she slams the right. door. And then after that, straps them to a car, drives it through the streets of Madripoor to send a message. It is so awesome. I yeah. love this book. It is intense it is like 
wild revenge and fury. They're dealing with some really grimy stuff yeah. too. It's like yeah. there's reason why she's taking it this far. Yeah. And I think she she will take it further and it's within reason. Totally. So cool. Up next is Doctor Strange number 11 written by Mark Wade, art by Jesus Saiz with Javier Pina, colors by Jesus Saiz and Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by VC's Corey Pettit. And uh this book Continues to be incredible. We know this. Doctor Strange's always been a, like a kind of blind spot for me in Marvel Herodom. There's just huge chunks I've never read. Mm. So the last couple of years, reading every Doctor Strange book and them all being great has been so much fun. This one is really neat because it has a, a bit about the origins of Dormammu. And that's a real bit of neat info. I just didn't fully... I didn't fully grasp. Hmm. Here, we're good to see Strange grow as as a person and a sorcerer, and that's really neat. I don't know if there's a superhero story by Mark Wade that I dislike, if I'm being honest, right. whether it's for us or for other companies. He balances that epicness with the fun and with the drama and, and with the sad and with the action. He's just the best. And Jesus here, I mean, he's on a whole other level. It's unfair. Uh, his depictions of the Faultine, which are the race that Dormammu is from and is also, you know, Dr. Strange says, you know, by the flames of the Faultine mm. or Faultine or however he says it, like he's actually like working with magics from this race, which is really neat. But his depiction of this race is so cool. It's like connected to the original Ditko vibe of Dormammu, but feels so real and modern and tangible. Mm -hmm. It is quite lovely. Next up is Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. This is issue number three, written by Tom Taylor, with art by Juan Cabal, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. You know, as I'm as I'm reading this book, I'm just like, man, Juan Cabal is just he fits in so perfectly with Spider-Man. One, not only is like being an artist on a Spider-Man book like an incredible, huge achievement, but it's also a very specific job because, you know, nobody moves like Spider-Man. So just seeing Juan come on and just crush it from issue one and continue to crush it through here is really awesome. I love that Johnny Storm is like such a perfect supporting cast member of a few different Spider-Man stories and, and definitely shows up in great ways here. It's been really, really cool to see what this friendly neighborhood prefix really means because obviously it's part of the, it's part of, you know, Spidey's nickname and everything like that. But to see how that manifests itself actually in the narratives of these stories has been really, really interesting because, you know, it doesn't just mean that how does like Peter like help take out the recycling behind his building or whatever it like but what's really cool is there is one specific um neighbor that spidey has gotten to know more and more and has kind of opened up a new world for him specifically he goes and visits there's just one element this book goes like way deep was not expecting yeah, where this went exactly like that's why i was saying like friendly neighborhood doesn't just mean like oh we're gonna hang out on his street it means other things but we're still gonna go just as wild just as far flung just as far off in this we get to explore under york which is awesome i thought of it kind of like as like the like picture negative of mm. new york kind of in a way it's like a weird like Alterna underneath slash half the I don't know uh, dimension of New York City. That, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's really cool and it, and it's 
it, it looks really awesome. It's colored gorgeously by by Nolan Woodard, just as really, really great stuff. But that opens up, like I said, just a, a kind of new world and a lot of new challenges and really new, interesting things for Spidey here. And, you know, the cast of creators on this book is so awesome. And I, I think it's really also special magic that Tom and Juan have together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You feel it. Yeah. That creative synergy between them is just off the charts. There's some stuff that Juan does in this book. There's this one big splash page where like Spider-Man is being sort of transported. Yeah. And it blew yeah. my How mind up. It's so that? cool. Yeah. And there's this the panel where you find out the rumor of who is this character. I just I am now I adore. Yeah. Uh when you find out her name in the shadows behind her is a version of her that's younger, mm. sort of whispering. Just the layers of it. It's just gorgeous work. Totally. Incredible. Also incredible is Guardians of the Galaxy number two, and it's the final gauntlet. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's the name of the <laughs> Yeah, issue. it is. Uh, the, the name of the storyline right now. It's written by Donnie Cates, art by Jeff Shaw, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. I'll, I'll be honest, Friendly Neighborhood, Guardians, both books I almost nearly picked. Yeah. Donnie manages to utilize bits of continuity and lore and relationships in ways that just delight me to no end. But the great thing about it is I don't feel like they hold anyone back. If you're just picking this book up, sight unseen, you're just like, I like Donnie's work or I like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like you don't need to have any of the background, but he throws it in there. He gets it to you. So if you have it, it makes it even cooler. Uh, if you don't know about Kitty Pride and Star-Lord's relationship, you know, you just see this scene with them and it's still wonderful. But if you read all those stories, you're like, oh man, it's like twisting the knife. It's really, really good. If you don't know who the Wraith is, uh, you still get a sense that he's mysterious and powerful and really cool, which he is. He's a character who showed up in Annihilation Conquest somewhere around 10 years ago. Uh, he's a Kree. He's got cool weapons and powers. Jeff Shaw, too, just... He's just the best for this book. Yeah. Um, his brand of cosmic reality, I think is the way I'm I'm thinking about it here, is like he hits that cosmic beyond aspect, but also grounds it in gritty reality, the mm-hmm. scratchy, detailed, emotive, otherworldly magic. I just love this book. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Next up is Hulk Vereens! Exclamation mark. Uh, All right. So you said this on the video version. Yeah. Uh, you said exclamation mark. And I, I'm always fascinated by who says exclamation point and who yeah. says exclamation You know mark. what? Every time I say it out loud, I like have a mini crisis where I'm like, as an exclamation, and then it's right when I hit the end that I decide which one I'm going with. I always it, say point. I've, yeah. Someone said mark to me, year, like, I probably was like an adult or almost an adult. I was like, yeah. what is, is this some other world? Yeah, I feel like maybe, I wonder if it's a kind of thing where it's like- A regional what, what do you, Yeah, what do you call a hoagie? You know, uh, anyway, uh, Hulk Vereen's Hoagie, number one, is written by Greg Pak with art by Aria Anandito, colors by Maury Hollowell with Andrew Crossley, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. We're jumping out of Weapon H and into this story with Clay, who is a really great new character. We've explored a ton of ground with him in a very short amount of time over the course of Weapon H and now moving into Hulk Vereen's, which is a three-issue limited series. But we get to see uh, the leader in here right in the opening pages, which is really cool. There's some really... Ario does some great, like, visual humor in here mm. with the leader in, 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 like, the perfect tonal way. I really had a fun time with this book because, like, there are some really 
big moments where it's like action's about to start. It's dramatic. It's big. And then it's just like sprinkled beautifully right on the side with just a little amount of humor, just in the right, perfect way. It felt great. Uh, as Clay is trying to kind of manage both his family life and the simple reality that he has to face, given the fact of his abilities, it all leads to this awesome throwdown between Weapon H and the Hulk. I mean, there's this two-page splash here that sees both of these characters transforming and then kind of clashing yeah. in the middle of the page at the same time. Looks so cool. I mean, it's so, so good. But it's it's just that huge, just earth-shaking fight that you want to see. Also, hey, if you look at the cover, you'll see that Wolverine is here. Uh, and, you know, Vereen, that's not talking about... Ben Vereen? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think these are three really fascinating characters and I don't know yet like how they'll relate to each other, what they have in common, if they'll hate each other, if they'll kind of understand each other. So seeing how that will play out is super fascinating. I love Greg Pak. I think he's just the best. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm always prone to liking his stories, but I thought this was a really particularly great one. Yeah. Up next is... My first pick of the week, and it is for Jessica Jones, Purple Daughter, number two. Both of us were like, I just chose it first. Yeah. Honestly, like, you it just got it first. Yeah. It is written by Kelly Thompson, art by Matteo Deulis, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Five pages in, I almost started crying. Like, yeah. there's this conversation that's good. So, set up uh, 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 Danny, Danny Cage, Danny Jones, Danielle. I'm not sure which last name she's yeah, they've given her. I don't know either. But anyway, Danielle, the the child of Luke and Jessica, she has turned purple, mm -hmm. and it has thrown their worlds into chaos. Mm -hmm. uh, it has caused PTSD, trauma, just devastation for Jessica. While yes, she's used to, but at the same time, it doesn't make it any easier. It actually yeah. makes it so much worse because now her child is involved, and it's gotten even worse because Luke has been brought into it and Luke he's seeing it from her perspective now he's seeing what to an extent what Jessica's gone through how this completely warps everything in your world and there's this conversation that's a couple pages in between Luke and Danny Danny Rand Iron Fist mm -hmm. not Danielle Cage yeah. Luke and Danny are talking on the couch and like they're best friends so they're just trying like they're working it out with each other and Luke's confessing to Danny, like, I, I understand what she's going through. It, I get it all. And then he hits upon this moment where he's like, but this is my family. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not letting anyone take this away from me. She's my daughter. I don't care what the circumstances are. She's my daughter. You know, I they may not share my blood, but they are my child. Yeah. And that's an important thing for Luke to understand here. His love for Danielle is so powerful. And, and then the way it's depicted... Kelly's just masterfully writing this. Yeah. Mateo, the way he sets it up, first you see Danny and Luke and they're sitting on the couch and then you see Jessica in the background. She's listening in. And then you get it from her perspective, from her backing up against a wall and she's just listening and just the emotions and like how much this shakes her mm -hmm. and, and kind of heals her and you're with it. Like the whole thing is so emotionally moving this is like five pages in. Yeah. It is so incredible. Yeah, I was reading those pages and just like, how is Mateo doing this? Like, even the way that Jessica's hand is like kind of holding her face yeah. as she's crying, it's like, it is so spot on. It's so like, just like unbelievable across the board. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. You were talking about those things, those things that Mateo does, like the, the mouths, little mm-hmm. subtle things. There's one two panel sequence, and this happens a couple times actually, where Jessica's got like body language, facial reaction in one way, and then she thinks of something, she hears something, and a subtle change. Mm-hmm. Like her mouth changes a little bit, or mm-hmm. her eyes shift, or like these little things, but he's so good that it shifts everything. Like you you are brought into how they feel. It's like those great actors yeah. who can barely move, but it's so, because they're so good, you are like whisked away yeah. with their emotions. It's masterful stuff. The first line in the second half of this book, because it's a bigger sized issue, it's a digital only, the first line in the second half of this book is, quote, there are a lot of things I expected I might see today. The Purple Children versus Emma Frost was not one of them. Mm. I love that. That just sets up the next half of this book, which is big laughs turning into big fights and big revelations to one of the most, honestly, one of the most powerful horror moments in a comic I've read this year. Like yeah. I, I was texting with Kelly and, and as I was reading this and because I, I have a tendency to like tell our creators like I loved this thing offline a lot mm-hmm. because they get so much guff at times yeah. like all of our creators yeah it's important to let them know the things you love when you love them mm-hmm. but that last page it's like a page and a half was one of the most visceral yeah seriously horrific nightmare moments with no blood no gore yep. it's like one of those psychological deep like you can feel it in your chest horror moments yeah it's just one of those things where it's like Everything as a reader, you're going along with the story. You're just like, no, no, like this can't happen. No way. But like, you know, it has to happen. You know what I mean? Like any great story like that Kelly's telling has to go there, has to explore those areas. And I'm just so stunned by this issue, by uh, her work with Jessica Jones so far. Everything is just, man, so perfect. This may be my favorite comic we're putting out right now. Yeah. I yeah, don't like yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. It's oof. Yeah. It's wild. We have next League of Legends Ash War Mother number three. This is also another uh digital release. It is written by Odin Austin Schaefer, art by Peter Gross and Nina Vacueva, colors by Chris Blythe, letters by Duran Bennett. You've got Ash the Lone Warrior who becomes less lonely in this issue, but no less burdened by the world around her. She links up with his other warrior who has is actually like a surprise and they battle, they laugh, they get into trouble. It's a really fun issue. Plus, we get the full script for the issue, uh, a bunch of looks at the art from different stages of completion, a glossary, and much more. Truly a treasure trove for League of Legends fans. Totally. Up next is Love Romances, number one. These romance stories are a bit on the bleak side. I'm going to let you know that right now. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, wowzers. Every single one of these made me so sad. <laughs> yep. Uh, we got a bunch of stories in here. We've got The Widow and the Clockwork Heart by Gail Simone, Roger Antonio, and Jim Charlampitas. Heartbroken from Beyond by Margot Mortin and Paco Margot Mortin and Paco Dorling Carter uh, doing the story in the art. Lee Lowridge on colors. French quartered by Dennis Hopeless Hallam with Ana Paolo Martello and Jim Charlampitas on the art. And Gone Like the Wind by John Adams on story and art and Tamara Bonvalain on colors. Travis Lanham from VC colors the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, but yeah, it, it is bleak. We got death. We got robots. We got sad robots. We got aliens. We got ghosts. We got all kinds of stuff in these stories. There's a little bit of history about Marvel's romance comics. 
in the back by Jim and Becky Beard and a few old romance covers thrown in there on the last page for fun. Uh, you can also check out This Week in Marvel episode number 380 for my talk about Marvel romance books with Trina Robbins. You guys, I think, on Marvel.com did some stuff about romance comics as well. Yeah. I, uh, loving all this 80th stuff, the kind of classic old genres explored in, in a new way. It's it's so much fun. But the next book this week is Marvel's Avengers Endgame Prelude number three. This is written by Will Corona Pilgrim with art by Paco Diaz, colors by Dono Sanchez Almara, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, this issue, uh, of course, as we're reliving or we're exploring the events of Avengers Infinity War medium. We're going from the meetings of the Avengers with the Guardians of the Galaxy on Titan through to a ton action as Thanos shows up, as things start kicking off in Wakanda, as we land with some dust. Well, we'll just put it that way. Uh, One of the things I thought was neat is the way they did the snap. Yeah, really cool. The way that we won't give it away if you're going to check it out, the way it's depicted is neat. Uh, Up next is Miles Morales, Spider-Man number three, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Javier Garon with David Curiel and VCs Corey Pettit on the letters. This story takes place, it seems, before the events of the current Amazing Spider-Man story, which had Rhino in it. And uh, But I really want Rhino to be a solid bro. I want him to mm-hmm. be a good guy. Like, Saladin makes me go, oh, I want Saladin to write a Rhino book yeah. where he's just trying his best to be a good I just, guy. I just love that he earmarked Rhino as like, oh, he's the guy that has depth to him that I can explore. I think that's really cool. Which is true. Like, yeah. during the Dan Slott run, there were mm-hmm. some really great Rhino stories and the ups and downs of him. But Rhino and Miles have a really neat dynamic in here. And then you get the bits with Captain America and Rhino. And it's so rad. Those are so good. Cap giving respect. And like Miles says in this issue, making everyone around him want to be better and want to do more. So spot on. You can't help it around him. Also, shout out to Saladin. Maybe also editor Kathleen Wisniewski for throwing in a delightful reference to wrestler Braun Strowman. If you know Braun Strowman's big catchphrase, you will have a chuckle when you read this issue. (laughs) Next up is Old Man Quill. Number two is written by Ethan Sachs with art by Robert Gill, colors by Andres Mosa, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is a fascinating story that I feel like it's is adopting a lot of different inspirations because we are in this kind of like post big bad something world. You know, we're kind of in the same vein of the wastelands. But I love where we start this issue with Doom as this kind of like God King. That term actually has a lot of different meaning for Doom specifically, but I mean that in the sense of just like this emperor who has been like lifted to this place of like, because you could clearly tell the people are in such poverty and like such difficult circumstances that they just hold him in such high regard because that's all they have. But also what I really love about exploring the wastelands here is because like I was saying with different inspirations, I feel like there's a really heavy kind of Western inspiration going on here. I think the guardians are the perfect team for that. Even as we're kind of first seeing them, like there's this cool shot of them kind of almost in silhouette coming through the the dust, walking up on the horizon. It's really cool. There's something else I wanted to mention that I didn't get to mention when we read issue number one. And that's, I love Robert Gill's rocket. Mm. I think it's, it's really cool. It's like, it's kind of it's got a darker vibe to it, like almost like I feel like it's almost a, like Mobius 
kind of vibe to it, mm. be, where the features are kind of like extended in certain ways, and it's a little, it's a little weirder. I can uh, see the Mobius yeah. vibe there. I've gotten to the point where I am, I can make art references. That's across. good. That's good. <laughs> um, I mean, you're talking about one of the masters, so yeah. it's, it's even better. Uh, but uh, yeah, th- this is a really, really interesting story that I think captures the spirit of the Guardians in a really interesting way while also really making it tonally specific and really making it something all on its own, something that feels lived in, feels real as we're exploring this kind of new journey. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to say about Robert Gill's art too, the gore and the grime and the grit and the the nastiness turns it up to Mm -hmm. a lot in this issue. It Mm -hmm. is. All right, up next is Return of Wolverine number five, written by Charles Soule. Pencils by Steve McNiven, inks by Jay Leiston, colors by Laura Martin, and letters by VC's Joe Sabino. And it's my pick of the week. Look, I mean, this has been a really, really great limited series all the way through. But to see Steve McNiven specifically come back for this issue to wrap things up is just a delight. You know, you just see that name on the front cover and you just know. You already know before you you can truly judge a book by its cover there because you know it's going to be good. You know that no matter the story being told, it's going to be imbued with just like incredible amounts of, of life and emotion. And this is one of those issues where it's like, as I'm editing things for the site and stuff like that, there are certain issues where I'm like, okay, we can be a little more, we can open things up a little more and say a little more. This is one of those issues that I kind of don't want to say that much mm-hmm. about, but I think that the way that it explores Logan's legacy and the legacy of Wolverine and the way that Persephone exploits all of the different versions of him, I think she's a great villain, first of all. Just such power, such kind of dark power to her that I think is super fascinating and I think is kind of contrasts with with Wolverine and the way he does things and his kind of ethos in a really, really interesting way. But as we're going through, I mean, it's just gorgeous and specifically i mean we're talking about incredible penciler with with steve mcniven but also i mean jay lyston and laura martin are just coming through with just like just gorgeous ink colors just there's some pages that are just kind of cast on red there's some panels that are cast on blue light it just looks so good all the way through i mean really if you just had no words on any of these pages and it just kind of played like silently the entire time it would be just an incredible book i think this is just a such a great wrap-up to this limited series and, and really fitting um reintroduction of the character back into the 616 back into the kind of everything and uh yeah i'm just so happy to embrace that yeah yeah we have uh we had colorist matt wilson here uh, this week, and I did a, a thing with him where we talked about just some of the books that he loves the coloring in. Yeah. And one of them was Thor that Laura colored. She's just like some sort of magician yeah. because her colors glow. Yeah. Like they glow off the page, and I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. It. yeah. Next up is Shuri number five. It's written by Nitty Okora for with art by the prodigal son Leonardo Romero. Colors by Jordi Belair and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is, uh, you know, just an amazing book to look at for kind of like 
as different as you can get from what we were just talking about with Steve McNiven, but equally just one of my favorites. We've spoken so much about Leo Romero and his work just captures something that feels so essential about comics and about the spirit of comics for me that I just love so much. This issue made me realize like, I want a Shuri Iron Man team up story. I thought the same thing. I wrote that in my notes. Yeah, they have such great energy together, such an awesome dynamic. Maybe it's something you might expect. And, you know, one of my favorite things about this series, though, is to see. I'm thinking back to Friendly Neighborhood Spider Man because it's not Shuri like, okay, we're going to focus a book on Shuri, but then she's going to go off and like do a story, you know, in Weird World or, or something like that. You know what I mean? It's very, it's a very Wakanda story. And that's really cool because there's so many interesting elements to explore there so much responsibility that sure feels to wakanda uh we are going now uh, into issue six in a really cool uh new direction which i'm super excited about i couldn't remember but is this is this five issues or six issues or is it more than that now it's rolling now we're ongoing yeah as far as we know we can okay. we want well, there guys- we go I wasn't it, was it? it yeah it was it wasn't it originally announced as like limited I, it might have been but, but I know we point is next two issues it's so and good coming back yeah the point is it's so good that we're rolling on and I think deservedly so it's so much fun heck yeah oh and it has one of the best last pages of yeah so I mean so yeah, awesome yeah, it was so good <laughs> yeah uh, now next is solo a Star Wars story number. Five, written by Robbie Thompson, art by Will Sliney, colors by Federico Bli, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue of the adaptation gets us through from the Kessel Run through to getting them onto Severine and mm-hmm. sort of a uh, big showdown starts by the end of this issue. But this issue actually has one of my favorite panels of the week. Will draws the hilarious shot of Chewie, Han, and Kira with their hair all frazzled. Yeah. Just the way he does it is it's a delight. Totally. Next up is Unstoppable Wasp, number five. It's written by Jeremy Whitley with art by Gurihiro. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. We have a piece on Marvel.com that dives in really deep with Jeremy about what this issue really is all about. And that is exploring Nadia's struggle with mental illness. And we have uh, one of our Marvel.com writers, Tim Stevens. He's a medical professional in this field. He's a therapist. And we had him, which is like so perfect. I mean, a lot of the times he just writes about just, you know, a lot of great superhero stuff. But this was so perfect that we had him sit down with Jeremy and explore all these things. He spoke with so many different people, had so many different people consulting on the story and making sure that it was done justice, that it was done the right way. You know, hats off to everyone involved because... It really comes through in the story. I mean, it's gorgeously told. It's kind of heartbreaking so much of the time. You're just really feeling for these characters, for Nadia, for the Agents of Girl, because, you know, a lot of it revolves around that. Uh, And we see the Agents of Girl trying to help Nadia as she's kind of going through these difficult moments and kind of coming up against mental illness itself in the kind of the in a lot of the worst ways. I think everybody's been through something where you're trying to help someone and they they can't accept that help. Yeah. They can't see it. It doesn't read to them the way that it reads to everyone else. And it's because of this illness. It's, you know, it's like coloring it and it's just devastating. Yeah, really. I mean, it, it's an amazing balancing act narratively to get that right, to do Nadia's side of the story justice, but also to do everyone surrounding her justice. You know, it's an unbelievable task. And I think they did an incredible job. We also see a lot of Nadia's crystal lab here, which is a super fascinating element because 
There's, again, so much emotion. You know, this issue isn't about it's not it's it's simply not about, uh, you know, hero versus villain. It's about it's about these kind of things It's about Mount Illness. It's it's about these kind of other types of battles which are done, you know, beautifully here. And uh, check out uh, Marvel.com right now to see uh, all the insights, kind of all the details about how Jeremy went about writing the story, what his inspirations were, why he wanted to go in this direction. It's really, really, really incredible stuff. Yeah. Uh, we're a little out of order, um, but up next is Uncanny X-Men number 12. Uh, it's written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Salvador La Roca, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, and in this issue, we've got Wolverine and Cyclops working together to free a whole ton of imprisoned mutants who weren't lost at the end of the big X-Men Legion War, the X-Men disassembled story. And maybe in the process, Wolverine and Cyclops are hoping to rebuild a new team of X-Men. We'll see. Uh, But the big battle here is intense. Uh, Also, if you read New Mutants Dead Souls that Matt also wrote, this connects to that in some very wild ways. Next up is Venom number 11. It's written by Donny Cates. With pencils by Joshua Kassara and Ryan Stegman, inks by Joshua Kassara and J.P. Meyer, colors by Frank Martin, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And this is my second pick of the week. This, again, I mean, coming right off the back of Unstoppable Wasp over here, it was an emotional roller coaster this week. I'm thinking of Wasp, Venom, love romances. We ran the gamut this week. There's so much going on. I specifically wanted to note we were talking about uh, variants at the beginning. I'm oh so gosh. glad that we oh got that we got to look at these make readies because we get to see the variants. Because for this issue specifically, Venom number eleven, there's a very special variant cover. It's so fun. There's a variant by Dave Gibbons. If you don't know who Dave Gibbons is, Google him. <laughs> you might see his most famous comic book work. And then the variant here, if you get your hands on it, it is. Delightful. It's so much fun. Did you know about it? You must have known about it already. I heard about it like, I might have been doing like oral history of Marvel Knights stuff. I feel like I was down there like the day that like it came through and, and people were finding out and I was talking to George about it. It's so much fun. This story is is really heavy stuff. We're talking about Eddie. We're talking about Dylan, Eddie's kind of brother and, and their upbringings and how they relate to each other in, in these really fascinating ways while Eddie is still going through this incredible journey with the symbiote and with so many other elements that are just specific kind of hit to him. But actually... Something like this, where we're at this level of so much emotion and it's family drama as it as much as it is kind of superhero drama, it feels like inspired by a younger generation of comic book creators that were as inspired by these kind of smaller indie comics as much as they were superhero comics. And we know that there's a ton of overlap there. We know that both of those kind of genres can cross over in so many different ways into the other ones. I mean... We've said so much about the the art team on this series and, you know, we will never, ever stop so long as it is made because there is just like incredible page full of just ridiculous detail. There's a specific kind of part in here I'm thinking about where Eddie is kind of in a void and he's having this really bleak, stark conversation with the symbiote about the relationship, about their codependency, things like that, that I just found so heartbreaking and beautifully done. You could tell that this was a big, big issue for the entire creative team. Joshua Katsara came on and crushed it with what is a really high standard on this series. But as we got to the final page here, the like hairs on my arm is like stand up in the back of my neck. I'm just like, 
Oh man, there is some crazy stuff that goes down in here that is just unbelievable. And more than anything, I think what separates it from just being like, oh, that was awesome to being like truly wow, is that it just is so incredibly earned. I mean, we have kind of over these 11 issues explored new areas of Eddie and in such fascinating ways that, you know, when we have these big, big character moments that hit, you know, it hits just even harder. It's uh, really, really awesome stuff. Heck yeah. Also, such good stuff this week is my second pick of the week, which is Wolverine Infinity Watch number one. Oh boy, this is written by Jerry Duggan, art by Annie McDonald, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, one note, though, I have to give, read this after you read Return of Wolverine number five. You should be reading both. They're both great. If you're a Wolverine fan, you're going to want to read both. But this pretty much picks up directly after the last page of Return of Wolverine. If you miss the end of Infinity Wars too, I will say we're going to get into some spoiler territory. So be the forewarned about some stuff going on. That all said, you can just dive right into this book. It's kind of neat because you get a setup of here's Wolverine. Here's what he's doing. Here's what the Infinity Stones are. Bing and a bang and a boom. Tells you everything you need to know. It's just layers upon layers of extra stuff if you are a dyed-in-the-wool Marvel fan who gets to re- who wants to read everything. In Infinity Wars, the Infinity Stones were sent off. They were connected to souls, thus giving them some new potential in the universe. This is a neat thing. Different from when someone possesses the Infinity Stone, they are sort of the new paradigm is that they are part and parcel with mm-hmm. the person. Mm-hmm. So the stone and the person are now kind of one, which is neat. We saw one that was attached to a wrongfully imprisoned dude named Hector who is in Texas. And we follow him, his story in here and how that connects to Wolverine. And that's going to drive a bit of the story. We also have Loki along with Logan here. And they are, you know, getting mixed up in all this own stuff, which is a lot of fun. You can tell Jerry's having a great time writing Loki. Yeah, those are like the moments where I'm just like, oh, man, this is why I love Jerry so much. Like, this is why he's one of the best. Just... He has the ability to like tell these massive stories like Infinity Wars, like this kind of story, but then also just these character moments that are just so powerful, but so funny. So they feel so light, even though you're getting so much, you know, all at the same time. Totally. Uh, I wanted to note that the Infinity Watch title actually comes from the original Warlock and the Infinity Watch book that launched out of the original Infinity Gauntlet series back in 1991-92. And is a team in which each member possessed a stone or at that time, a gem. And so I like it that this team back then, they came together to protect each of the gems from ne'er-do-wells. But here, you know, they, they don't know where all the stones are. So you have Logan and Loki being just this delightful team. I love Andy McDonald's acting and facial expression art throughout this. He nails all that. All the guff between the two, he just crushes it. You mm-hmm. get the feeling of like, they just like, oh, this guy. Yeah. All the time. The issue also features far future Phoenix Wolverine from the pages of Thor, who has this time bat thing. The time bat was from a really great series called Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, which is all up on Marvel Unlimited. It is really fun. I am delighted by this. It's just, it is pure joy. Yeah, it's so good. Collections on sale this week include... Amazing Spider-Man by Nick Spencer, Volume 2, Friends and Foes, Black Panther Epic Collection, Revenge of the Black Panther, Cable and X-Force, Onslaught, exclamation point, Captain America Volume 1, Winter in America, Deadpool, Secret Agent, Deadpool, Ghost Rider, The War for Heaven, Book 1. I think that might be the Jason Aaron era of Ghost Rider. I'm not sure because I'm pretty sure because the War for Heaven was like that's kind of the vibe of that story of one of his stories. 
Old Man Hawkeye Volume 2, The Whole World Blind, The Punisher Volume 1, World War Frank, Uncanny X-Men by Kieran Gillen, The Complete Collection Volume 1, and West Coast Avengers Volume 1, Best Coast. Yeah, right on. There's digital collections on sale this week, a whole bunch of Marvel Adventures, The Avengers. If you have the children, these are great. Pick up the Marvel Adventures books. I always say this. Read them on Marvel Unlimited. Tons of stuff this week. Uh, some, you know, Daredevil issues. We've got a bunch of filling in some gaps on some Daredevil stuff. Infinity Wars number two is in there. Luke Cage, the digital original that came out um, last fall. That's up in there. You can check that out. We've got some Star Wars in here. We have a really neat book called Wolverine Netsuke from 2002 that is done by George Pratt, who's this amazing painter mm. uh check it out it's real neat it's got wolverine in the hand and ninjas and cool stuff and yeah george pratt's art is dope awesome uh that wraps it up for us this week that's it Ooh, we did it we did it 21 books i think yeah yeah it was, it was a great week though. it was a great week yeah really good stuff we'll be back next week i'm ryan and i'm tucker and this is marvel you're yours.